0: Section 13 of Thrift. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Christine Rutger. June twenty-fourth, 2021, Westford, Massachusetts. Thrift by Samuel Smiles. Chapter 8. Savings Banks Continued. It will be obvious from what has been said that the practice of economy depends very much upon the facilities provided for the laying by of small sums of money. Let a convenient savings bank be provided and deposits gradually flow into it. Let a military bank be established and private soldiers contrive to save something out of their small pay. Let penny banks be opened, and crowds of depositors immediately present themselves, even the boys of the ragged schools being able to put into them considerable sums of money. It is the same with the school banks, as we have seen from the examples of the school children of Ghent. Now, fifteen years ago, this country was very insufficiently provided with savings banks for the people. There were then many large towns and villages altogether unprovided with them. Lancashire had only 30 savings banks for upward of two millions of people. The East Riding of Yorkshire had only four savings banks. There were 15 counties in the United Kingdom which had not a single savings bank. There were only about 600 savings banks for about 30 millions of people. These were open only for two or three hours in the week. Some were open for only four hours in the month. The workman who had money to save had to carry his spare shillings in his pocket for some time before he could lay them by, and in the meantime he might be exposed to constant temptations to spend them. To keep his shillings safe, he must have acquired the habit of saving, which it was the object of savings banks to train and establish. Dr. Guthrie, in his book on ragged schools, published in 1860, said, How are our manufacturing and handicraft youths situated? By public houses and spirit shops they are surrounded with innumerable temptations, while to many of them savings banks are hardly known by name." dissipation has her nets drawn across every street in many of our towns sobriety has to run the gauntlet of a half a dozen spirit shops in the space of a bow shot these are near at hand open by day and blazing by night both on sabbath and saturday drunkenness finds immediate gratification while economy has to travel a mile it may be for her savings bank and that opens its door to thrift but once or twice a week many suggestions have been made by friends of the poor classes whether it might not be possible to establish a more extended system of savings banks throughout the country as long ago as 1807 mr whitbread introduced a bill into parliament for the purpose of enabling small deposits to be made at an office to be established in london the money to be remitted by the postmasters of the districts in which the deposits were made the bill further contemplated the establishment of a national assurance society by means of which working people were to be enabled to effect assurances to an extent not exceeding two hundred pounds and to secure annuities to an amount not exceeding twenty pounds. Mr. Whitbread's bill was rejected, and nothing came of his suggestions. The exertions of Sir Rowland Hill, having given great vitality to the post office system, and extended its usefulness as a public institution in all directions, It was next suggested that the money order offices, which were established in 1838, might be applied for the purpose of depositing as well as for transmitting money. Professor Hancock published a pamphlet on the subject in 1852. In November 1856, Mr. John Bullar, the eminent counsel, whose attention had been directed to the subject by the working of the Putney Penny Bank, suggested to the post-office authorities the employment of money-order offices as a means of extending the savings-bank system but his suggestion did not meet with approval at the time and nothing came of it similar suggestions were made by other gentlemen by mr hume by mr Macquor cordale by captain strong by mr ray Me, and others but it was not until mr sykes of huddersfield took up the question that these various suggestions became embodied into facts suggestions are always useful they arouse thinking the most valuable are never lost but at length work themselves into facts most inventions are the result of original suggestions someone attempts to apply the idea failures occur at first but with greater knowledge greater experience and greater determination the suggestion at last succeeds the post office savings banks owe their success in the first place to the numerous suggestions made by mr whitbread and others next to sir Rowland hill who by establishing the branch post offices for the transmission of money made the suggestions practicable next to mr sykes who took up the question in 1850 pushed it persevered with it and brought it under the notice of successive chancellors of the exchequer and lastly to mr gladstone who having clearly foreseen the immense benefits of post office savings banks brought in a bill and carried it through parliament in 1861 the money order department of the post office had suggested to mr sykes as it had already done to other observers that the organization already existed for making post office savings banks practicable throughout the kingdom wherever the local inspector found that as many as five money orders were required in a week the practice was to make that branch of the post office a money order office it was estimated that such an office was established on an average within three miles of every working man's door in the kingdom. The offices were open daily. They received money from all corners and gave vouchers for the amounts transmitted through them. They held the money until it was drawn and paid it out on a proper voucher being presented. The post office was, in fact, a bank for the transmission of money holding it for periods from 24 hours to weeks and months, by enabling it to receive more money from more depositors, and by increasing the time of holding it, allowing the usual interest, it became to all intents and purposes a national bank of deposit. The results of the Post Office Savings Bank's Act have proved entirely satisfactory. The money order offices have been largely extended, They are now about 4,000 in number. Consequently, the facilities for saving have been nearly doubled since the banks were established. The number in the London district is now about 460, so that from any point in the thickly populated parts of the metropolis, a savings bank may be found within a distance of a few hundred yards. The number of the depositors at the end of 1873 amounted to more than a million and a half, while the amount of deposits reached over 21 millions sterling. At the same time, the amount deposited with the original savings banks remained about the same. The amount reached 23,157,469 at the end of 1874. Post office savings banks possess several great advantages which ought to be generally known. The banks are very widely diffused and are open from nine in the morning until six in the evening and on Saturdays until nine at night. Persons may make a deposit of a shilling or of any number of shillings provided more than 30 pounds is not deposited in any one year the post office officers furnish the book in which the several deposits are entered the book also contains the regulations of the post office savings banks interest is allowed at the rate of 2 pounds 10 shillings per cent per annum another most important point is the security Government is responsible for the full amount paid in, so that the money deposited with the Post Office Savings Bank is as safe as if it were in the Bank of England. The money saved may also be transferred from place to place without expense, and may be easily paid to the depositor when required, no matter where it was originally deposited. All that is done is done in perfect secrecy between the depositor and the postmaster who is forbidden to disclose the names of the depositors we have frequently alluded to mr charles William sykes in connection with the penny banks and post office savings banks his name must always hold a distinguished place in connection with those valuable institutions he is the son of a private banker in huddersfield when at school he was presented as a prize with a copy of Dr. Franklin's Essays and Letters. He perused the book with avidity. It implanted in his mind the germs of many useful thoughts, and exercised a powerful influence in giving a practical character to his life. Huddersfield is a busy manufacturing town. Although workmen were well paid for their labor, there were many ups and downs in their business. When trade became slack and they had spent all they had earned numbers of them were accustomed to apply for charity in the streets or by the wayside. Young Sykes often wondered whether these people had ever heard of Dr. Franklin and of his method of avoiding beggary or bad times by saving their money when trade was brisk and they were well off. Early in eighteen thirty three, Mr. Sykes entered the service of the Huddersfield Banking Company. It was the second joint-stock bank that had been established in England. The prudence and success with which the Scotch banking companies had been conducted induced the directors to select a Scotch manager. One of the first resolutions the directors adopted was to give deposit receipts for sums of ten pounds and upwards for the purpose of encouraging the working classes in habits of providence and thrift mr sykes being somewhat a favorite with the manager often heard from his lips most interesting accounts of the provident habits of the scotch peasantry and was informed by him of the fact that one of the banks at perth paid not less than twenty thousand pounds a year as interest on deposits varying from ten to two hundred pounds each in eighteen thirty seven mr sykes became one of the cashiers of the company this brought him into direct contact and intercourse with the very class from which the direction his mind was taking he so much wished to understand namely the thrifty portion of the industrious classes a considerable number of them had sums lying at interest As the years rolled on, Mr. Sykes often witnessed the depositor commencing with 10 or 20 pounds, then make permanent additions to his little store, until at length the amount would reach one, two, or even in a few instances, even 300 pounds. Mr. Sykes would often imagine the marvelous improvement that would be effected on the condition of the working-classes, if every one of them became influenced by the same frugality and forethought, which induced these exceptional operatives to deposit their savings at his bank. About that time, trade was in a wretched condition. The hand-loom weavers were almost entirely without employment. Privation and suffering prevailed on every side, and these were often born with silent and noble heroism various remedies were proposed for the existing evils socialism chartism and free trade were the favorites theories of the wildest and most impracticable character abounded and yet even in those dark days there were instances of men who had to some degree made the future predominate over the present who could fall back on their reserve in the joint stock or savings bank to tide them over into better times believing in the beneficent results of free trade mr sykes was equally convinced that national prosperity as well as national adversity might be attended with great evils unless the masses were endowed with habits of providence and thrift and prepared by previous education for the good time coming so eloquently predicted by the orators of the league many discussions with working men in his homeward evening walks convinced mr sykes that there were social problems with which legislation would be almost powerless to grapple and of these the thriftlessness of the masses of the people was one an employer of five hundred hand-loom weavers had told mr sykes that in a previous period of prosperity when work was abundant and wages were very high he could not had he begged on bended knee have induced his men to save a single penny or to lay by anything for a rainy day the fancy waistcoating trade had uniformly had its cycles of alternate briskness and depression but experience however stern its teachings could not teach unwilling learners it was at this period that Mr. Sykes was reading the late Archbishop Sumner's Records of Creation and met with the following passage, The only truest secret of assisting the poor is to make them agents in bettering their own condition. Simple as are the words, they shed light into Mr. Sykes' mind and became the keynote and the test to which he brought the various views and theories which he had previously met with doles and charities though founded frequently on the most benevolent motives were too often deteriorating to their recipients on the other hand if self-reliance and self-help the columns of true majesty in man Could only be made characteristics of the working classes generally, nothing could retard their onward and upward progress. Mr. Sykes observed that until the working classes had more of the money power in their hands, they would still be periodically in poverty and distress. He saw that if provident habits could only be generally pursued by them, the face of society would immediately be transformed. And he resolved, in so far as lay in his power, to give every aid to this good work. In 1850, savings banks were only open a few hours in each week. In Huddersfield, where more than four hundred thousand pounds a year were paid in wages, the savings bank, after having been established over thirty years, had only accumulated seventy four thousand three hundred thirty two pounds in eighteen fifty mister sykes addressed an anonymous letter to the editors of the leeds mercury to which by their request he afterwards attached his name in that letter he recommended the formation of penny savings banks in connection with mechanics and similar institutes in simple words but with many telling facts he showed how the young men and the young women of the working classes were growing up deprived of almost every opportunity of forming habits of thrift and of becoming depositors in savings banks the letter was received with general approbation the committee of the yorkshire union of mechanics institutes gave their cordial sanction to it and penny banks were established in connection with nearly every mechanics institute in Yorkshire. Mr. Sykes personally conducted one at Huddersfield, and down to the present time it has received and repaid about thirty thousand pounds. In fact, the working people of Huddersfield, doubtless owing in great measure to the practical example of Mr. Sykes, have become most provident and thrifty the deposits in their savings bank have increased from 74,000 pounds in 1850 to 330,000 pounds in 1874. In 1854, Mr. Sykes published his excellent pamphlet on good times or the savings bank and the fireside, to which we have already referred. The success which it met with induced him to give his attention to the subject of savings-banks generally he was surprised to find that they were so utterly inadequate to meet the requirements of the country he sought an interview with sir cornwall lewis then chancellor of the exchequer and brought the subject under his consideration the Chancellor requested Mr. Sykes to embody his views in a letter, and in the course of a few months there appeared a pamphlet addressed to Sir Cornwall Lewis entitled Savings Banks Reforms. Mr. Sykes insisted on the government guarantee being given for deposits made in savings banks, but this was refused. Mr. Sykes next proceeded to ventilate the question of post office savings banks he was disappointed that no measure for the improvement of savings banks had been adopted by parliament the day appeared very distant when his cherished wish would be realized that the savings bank should really become the bank of the people but the darkest hour precedes the dawn when he had almost given up the notion of improving the existing savings banks the idea suddenly struck him that in the money order office there was the very organization which might be made the basis of a popular savings bank he communicated his plan in a letter to his friend mr baines then member for leeds the plan was submitted to mr roland hill who approved of the suggestions and considered the scheme practicable so far as the post office was concerned the plan was then brought under the notice of mr gladstone who afterwards carried the bill through parliament for the establishment of post office savings banks throughout the country to use the words of mr sykes himself when predicting at the social science association the success of the post office savings banks should the plan be carried out it will soon be doing a glorious work. Wherever a bank is opened and deposits received, self-reliance will to some extent be aroused, and, with many, a nobler life will be begun. They will gradually discern how ruthless an enemy is in providence to working men, and how truly his friends are economy and forethought. Under their guidance, household purchases could be made on the most favorable terms, for cash, Any wished for a house taken at the lowest rent for punctual payment, and the home enriched with comforts until it is enjoyed and prized by all. From such firesides go forth those inheriting the right spirit, loving industry, loving thrift, and loving home emulous of a good example they in their day and generation would nobly endeavor to lay by a portion of their income many a hard winter and many a slack time would be comfortably got over by drawing on the little fund to be again replenished in better days. And if the plan were adopted, remembering that it would virtually bring the savings bank within less than an hour's walk of the fireside of every working man in the United Kingdom, I trust that it is not taking too sanguine a view to anticipate that it would render aid in ultimately winning over the rank and file of the industrial classes of the kingdom to those habits of forethought and self-denial which bring enduring rewards the individual and materially add to the safety of the state. The working classes have not yet, however, taken full advantage of the facilities for saving afforded them by the post office savings banks. Take Birmingham, for instance, where the artisans are among the best paid workmen in the town. In the list of depositors in the post office savings banks, we find that the artisans rank after the domestic servants, after the married and unmarried women, and after the miners. They only constitute about one-tenth of the entire depositors, though it is possible that they may deposit their savings in some other investments. Then take the returns for the entire United Kingdom out of every ten thousand depositors in the post office savings banks we find that the domestic servants are again the first next the women married and single next persons of no occupation and occupations not given next the artisans and after them the laborers miners tradesmen soldiers and sailors clerks milliners and dressmakers professional men and public officials in the order stated We must, however, regard the institution as still too young to have fully taken root. We believe that the living generation must pass away before the full fruits of the post office savings banks can be gathered in. The inhabitants of Preston have exhibited a strong disposition to save their earnings during the last few years, more especially since the conclusion of the last great strike. There's no town in England except perhaps Huddersfield, where the people have proved themselves so provident and so thrifty. Fifty years ago, only one person in thirty of the population of Preston deposited their money in the savings bank. Twenty years ago, the depositors increased to one in eleven, and last year they had increased to one in five. In 1834, the sum of 165,000 pounds had been accumulated in the savings bank by 5,942 depositors, and in 1874, 472,000 pounds had been accumulated by 14,792 depositors out of a total population of 85,428. Is there any other town or city that can show a more satisfactory result of the teaching, the experience, and the prosperity of the last twenty years? End of section 13.